You are now listening to the Superhero Education Podcast, featuring Professor Eugene Pitchford and Dr. Steve Gurner. We are real educators tackling the real topics in education. Listen to be informed, inspired, and entertained. With no further ado, here are your hosts to the Superhero Educators Podcast. We want to welcome everyone to another edition of the Superhero Education Podcast. I am Eugene, and we have Steve right here. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing well. So we have one of our favorite, favorite, favorite people on the show today, and um, she's also like kind of famous, like more famous than than. I mean, we're not famous, but she's she's very famous. Um, we have we have Lakeisha Myers here, who's a who's a educator, a politician, and uh, we're just so so happy to have her. So Steve, you take us off from there. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great show because we can learn a lot from Lakeisha and her her skills. Lakeisha, how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Yeah, why don't you tell us, Lakeisha, a little bit about yourself so the audience gets to understand what we know about you. I am a state representative for the 12th Assembly District in Wisconsin, which uh, encompasses a portion of Wauwatosa and the far northwest corner of Milwaukee. And I'm an educator with 15 years of experience uh, stemming from both the classroom and administration um, and having successfully worked with at-risk populations. So as you're able to see through the lens of the political world and the education and where they intersect, I think that's very interesting. And I would consider you a superhero leader just because of the knowledge that you have and really what you're doing in your positions. What inspires you today about education? What are you seeing right now that, that you get very excited about and inspires you? Um, I am inspired right now, even amidst the pandemic crisis, uh, with the use of technology. I think that is, we're kind of on the cusp of something new with that. I think it's something that has to change um, in the academic realm as far as how we deliver instruction to students, um, ensuring that, you know, we can sustain brick and mortar buildings. Um, education is happening more so outside of traditional classrooms and the, the world is becoming the classroom. Um, while that's been the luxury for some, it has not been the experience of most. And I think when we look at a situation like the COVID-19 crisis, this is something that um, will hopefully spur us in that direction, where you'll see actual teachers flipping their classrooms and utilizing more hands-on or uh, real-world applications. Lakeisha, there's, there's a couple questions I want to ask you, but there's one big one I'm going to hold off until a little bit later, but you, you talked about potentially permanently transitioning some portions of education as we move forward to the online world. And I think I like that space. I think you like that space. And I think Steve likes that space. But there's a whole lot of educators that I don't want to say fear it mm -hmm. and or want it to go back to traditional 
in terms of whatever that means, traditional education. Do you really, and I'm, I'm saying that not challenging you, but I'm just thinking out loud to myself also, do not you, but do we really believe that it's not going to go right back to the way it was once all this is over? I think it will go back to a portion of what it was, but I think the realization has come in the education realm as well as the, the you know workplaces that people can do a lot of things uh, remotely um, and children can learn remotely as well. I, I don't think it will go there automatically, but I think it will be something that happens over time. Uh, you already look at how virtual schools have impacted how students are learning. Um, right now, virtual schools, or prior to the COVID um, pandemic, virtual schools were something that was used um, as either a, a tool for very uh, gifted and talented students who were academically you know, advanced, or students who may have had special needs um, or had severe behavior issues. So you had two different extremes for the majority of students. Um, I think with looking at a couple things, we have to take technology into consideration. And those couple of things are number one, understanding that evolution is inevitable. So just like we don't teach the same way we did in the common school era with Horace Mann and rote memorization and you know, kind of the one room schoolhouse, you know, with the teacher teaching, you know, six grades to twelve grades in one room. I think there's a difference in how we have to apply and adapt with education today, and technology is a big part of that. I don't think it will happen rapidly because you have other issues to look at, such as the digital divide, which is a rural as well as an urban um, issue. That can divide, that, uh, you know, is an issue that is not unique to one particular population. I think you have issues where people do not have internet access readily available in the home, that's something that we've seen even with the public school systems during the COVID uh, pandemic. I can give you a Chromebook, but if you don't have anything to connect it to, what's the purpose? Or do you have to go outdoors now, even in the, you know, the pandemic to sit in a McDonald's parking lot to get internet access? Or on the rural side, you have, you know, there's no broadband access for 20 miles around. How do you then educate a child with that? Or you have broadband access, it may not be strong enough bandwidth to uh, contain all the people in the community now that have to utilize, um, you know, computers to educate their children. Right. So I think that's something that we have to look at as well. The other part of it is an economic part of it. Um, Wisconsin only graduated roughly about 2,200 teachers from undergraduate schools last year. So with 2,200 teachers being educated in a state, six million people how do you figure that we're going to educate enough teachers to fill the population of need that we have when people continue to still have children it the numbers don't add up so technology has to be introduced because if you have one school where there's only one person certified to teach ap us history but you have 50 students that want to take this class you have one or two options give this teacher an overloaded class of 50 students, try to break it up and offer this by contracting with a teacher that has the certification and utilize it in an online platform. Right. 
something that we have to look at, how to grade share, how to utilize technology, um, you know, it has to happen. I mean, I think we're at a time where we don't have that many people that are going into the profession. Well, I think, that stresses, we I think that stresses the importance of also um, alternative certifications. Oh yeah, and, and also pulling in people from other 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 careers to potentially um, help help fill the need that you discussed. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? There's no reason that a person that is not um, a CPA can't teach math. If you have knowledge, I can teach you the teaching methods. That's the easy part. It's the application portion that you have to really get in and do. So you know, I think that's something that that is immediately accessible looking at people um, who have skill sets and content knowledge and have always thought about teaching or have done something teaching adjacent, um, but have never been in, in the classroom. And we have to create more pathways and opportunities because right. we usually bring in a, a wider, cast a wider net of people who may have never thought of themselves as teachers, but we all know them as professional development experts in our jobs. So, you mentioned the gap, which I think there is a huge gap right now with access to internet, with access to high quality resources, high quality teaching. I think there's a difference what's happening right now, a huge gap in the rural areas, urban areas, and then what's happening in other areas. And I, what bothers me is I, I see this gap getting wider and it's going to affect uh, it's usually this gap I see is a lot on social economics. I think some of the school districts were able to just to go quickly into take your Chromebooks that you had been using all year and just do it at home now and we'll continue to engage you. And now others have uh, a worksheet if they pick it up, they get a worksheet if they go pick it up where the food is or they don't even have that. So we have this gap on social economics does the politi do, do politicians get more involved here? How do, how do we fix that? Because we know what it is. Everyone knows what it is right now. Uh, how do we figure out, how do we get the access, the Wi-Fi access? How do we get better resources? Is, there, uh, uh, is this an education issue or is this a political issue that needs to, who, who should solve this? Both. Both entities have to be willing to solve it. Um, however, Politicians have a greater responsibility because they know the needs of their district. And they have to be able to understand that it's not about self-preservation, if you will, of you know holding on to a, a political seat. It's about doing what's best for the people that are involved and that you represent. Each state representative represents roughly 57,000 people um, in their district. So, we know we have open enrollment across the state of Wisconsin where a child can go to school in any school district as long as the parent can get them there. Um, and as long as they have room enough in that district to serve them. How does that translate into child coming from Brown Deer and going to school, I don't know, make this up in Watertown, even though I know it's a long way away, but if that was the case and this happens and they don't have internet access at home, but now you give them a laptop or a book, what are they supposed to do? So I think you have to look at what resources are readily available in communities. I think we have a lot as politicians to say about that. We have the ability 
to make demands on companies that want to come in and install things like 5G towers? Um, you know, what are, what are the community benefits going to be for having this faster access? What is the community getting in return for this? That's a possibility too. So Lakeisha, if you control everything, let's say you control everything right now, is that your first move would be to leverage the companies coming in and the internet companies, the Wi-Fi companies and say, we need you to open this up for certain students and parents free or what's your first move then? That would be a part of the conversation. I know there are programs that are available through like Spectrum and Sprint um, and Comcast or Xfinity. They, each of them have programs for indigent persons that can get access for as low as $10 a month. One of the caveats with that program is though that you can't have a previous balance with say a company. How many people have started out with service but then had to lose the service because they fell behind in a bill and now we're finding that that's an issue. My, my, one of my things that I'm working on is to look at alleviating that caveat because if you couldn't pay the $150, maybe you can pay the 10. So you, the companies have already collected insurance on what you can't pay. So let's just wipe that debt and allow this family, as long as they have a child in education, to, uh, to get them the $10 a month service that the family needs. But this is something that would help the entire family. Parents need to be able to do job applications. Nobody has paper job applications anymore. You know, this is, this is a necessity. Hmm. You know, so I think that's something that we have to look at as well. So there would be a memorandum of understanding. I don't know if it needs to come through the Public Service Commission or do, through direct legislation, but this is a part of that diversity and inclusion piece. That inclusion piece also encompasses indigent people. Lakeisha, one of, and I don't, I don't know if this is agreeing with you or disagreeing with you, or if it's just an opinion or a question. One of the things that's troubled me during this time is like just what you said before about Brown Deer, uh, Watertown, MPS, a private school. Before COVID-19, all of those places are all over the map on what they provide for students. Mm -hmm some better some worse like it's just it is what it is right mm -hmm. and i was completely blown back i know me and you are going to probably disagree on this point but i was completely brought blown back by just in milwaukee at how the differences of how instruction is delivered in spite of everything you just talked about um when steve answered the question and I'm gonna give you a couple of examples. I'll start off with the one, the last heartbreak. And uh, Steve, you were on the line when this one happened. We're, we're interviewing, how do I wanna say this? We were looking at someone for a scholarship. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, I asked a young lady, 3.0 student, um, hey, what is school like now? Just like, what is it like? Because as educators, I like to try to understand pluses and minuses. She says, look, I'm a 3.0 student. 3.3 is what she said. I'm a 3.3 student. The teachers are giving me more work now than they did when we were face-to-face. -face. And not only are they giving more work, 
they're not grading it. And if we have any questions, they're not responding to email. So that's one end, right? Then there's another end of educators now. Now I'm, I'm taking it from kids to educators. Educators are saying, we're not giving no work at all. So in the city of Milwaukee, we have two distinct differences. Then you throw in work packets that either work or don't work. Then you throw in, we're going to give you work. And I know half of y'all don't have access. And then the reverse of that will be, okay, because some people don't have nothing. We're not going to give you nothing. Like just the state of, and I'm just talking about Milwaukee. I can't talk about Brown Deer. I can't talk about Mequon. Just the state of Milwaukee education has me pulling out the little hair that I have because me, and I think you are this way, Lakeisha, and I know Steve, you're this way. A great educator finds a way with the barriers or without. So just seeing this nonsense, it literally burns me up that we can't figure this out. I, like, like I said, there's no, it's, it's not without the understanding that some people don't have the technology. It's not without the understanding that some people are competing with their parents for the technology. Um, but the overwork and not graded and no work or work that just you get it when you go get the food in, it's a resource. There's no way we all could be getting this wrong. And it just bothers me. So I don't know if that's a question or how would you respond to that, Lakeisha? So first of all, I would respond and say that we actually do agree. Um, I'm surprised. I think that we wouldn't agree, but as a person that is a third generation teacher by trade, you do find a way. Right. Um, we have too much at our disposal for us, whether this is children or on the educator end, to not find a way. Um, you know, I think it deep inequity as far as even, not even just interdistrict of looking at what suburban schools were able to do. Um, I look at it from even within the major public school system, which is Milwaukee Public Schools here in the state. MPS is the largest school district, yet we are just getting students Chromebooks last week. That makes and school, that and makes school was out on March I don't know, 13, something like that, whenever school closed. So I look at it from the perspective of, yes, school closed, uh, you know, abruptly. But I'll give you a week. Where was the planning that should have been taking place from the executive leadership of the school board and from the, uh, from the executive leadership team within the district as well as with the school board to work together to say, okay, COVID is coming. When other school districts start to close, you need to be paying attention to see how you're going to roll out the plan. So this lets me know that there was no real contingency plan in place should, I don't know, the natural disaster come and something needs to happen. Um, I don't know why that is. And, 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 and I, I 
Lakeisha, just simply say this, and Steve, and then Steve, you hop right in. And 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 my what I'm saying, it's I'm not singling MPS out. I've no, it, not I've at all. I've seen it work in, in private schools also. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but okay. you have absolutely nothing. So when you're resorting to, I get the fact that okay, we have to give work packets because we didn't have X Y Z plan in place. That's evident. So you give the work packets, but what I'm looking at is from the high school perspective, which is where the majority of my career was. We Google Classroom is almost what five, ten years old now. It was supposed to have been implemented in all schools already. So this could have been a resource and a tool that was already being used. One of my mentees told me herself that she was told by a, a more seasoned teacher in her building we don't have to put up any work assignments right now for students or communicate with them because XYZ entity told us to. And I told her, don't listen to that advice. I have that, I have that, I have that letter in my phone. Yeah. And I'd I like to even too. expand it out beyond locally. I think we're seeing this across the country. I think absolutely. we're, we're absolutely. here locally. Friends in New York have said the same thing. Absolutely. Across the country have said the same thing. There are different varying levels of what has been done, even within districts. Intradistrict segregation is real. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's I think it's absolutely you know, yeah. frustrating. It's absolutely frustrating. And and if you really love children, you should be frustrated. There should be some anger with this to go, this isn't right. Where where I go is it's not surprising. I'm frustrated by it, but I'm not surprised because what COVID-19 did is it just made it more visible for everybody. You, it's not magical that we had across the country, there were really bad things going on in classrooms and there's great superhero educator things going on in classrooms. What COVID-19 did was make it visible because Steve. people don't get to see a lot of times inside what's happening in the classroom. Now, it, it all went open, it all went into the homes, it all went virtually and people went, uh-oh, now this isn't good. Now we can see it a lot more. So I don't, I'm not, I'm extremely frustrated, but I'm not surprised at it mm -hmm. because I think uh, before we had uh, great teachers and we had teachers that need improvement and we have terrible teachers and we have to keep pushing for that. The issue Steve. comes in social economics and I really think the issue comes in with uh, students of color getting hurt by this more. Yeah, yeah Steve, it surprised me when we talked to that young lady that says I'm getting all this work and it's not getting graded and how, she wants to be a teacher. How does that surprise you? How do, you don't think teachers before would go, I'm going to throw out some worksheets. I'm not saying effective teachers, but I'm, I'm saying there's teachers out there that say, I don't know how to control my classroom. So I'm going to throw some worksheets. And you know what they do during worksheets? They got to be quieter. So I'm going to throw some worksheets out. Uh oh, I have too many worksheets now because that's how I spend my day controlling my classroom. And I'm not grading all these because that's impossible because tomorrow I'm going to throw out another 20 worksheets at these students. I'm not saying that's effective, but that's definitely not surprising to me. It shocked Absolutely. me. It shocked me. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it, like I, I, I can get a person saying I'm not going to do nothing or I'm going to wait till we get this technology, but to pour it on, that shocked me. And well, sure. But think you, you don't think that happened before COVID-19? 
Everybody was rolling along in high-performing classrooms across the country. You've been a principal before, Eugene. You know how this works. You know how we see people who believe compliance is the answer versus actual communication and educating. If you have a, a class that has a healthy dose of students that have behavior issues or whatever the case may be, and the teacher does not know how to handle that, this you see a lot of worksheet, worksheets or coloring sheets. Be quiet. As long as you're quiet, you will pass. How many okay. times have we seen that in, with, and being honest with some of our coworkers? We know who terrible people are. We know this. Yeah, I guess I get the lack of technology. It doesn't do anything to those people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, point taken, point, point taken. Lakeisha, let me ask you this question. Um, you are very proficient into writing bills and generating um, generating uh, attention and urgency to the bills. I'm going to give you an ideal, and I want you to take it. And then, but I want the bill to have my name on it. Really? Yes. Gene Pitchford. Act. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Would it have so, to say Eugene Pitchford III, or could it just be Eugene Pitchford? How about call it the Eugene and Stevie Bill? How about that? <laughs> we'll, we'll get Stevie in. So, so here's so here's what we want, Lakeisha. I, you know, I I told someone that I was gonna, that we were going to have you on, and we were just debating back and forth. So here, here so check this out. At some point, we are assuming the the COVID situation gets better, and then by the fall, maybe or winter, spring. It may it may flare up again. Can you create a bill, the, the Eugene and Stevie bill, that makes it mandatory that all classes are assigned fifteen to one to help practice some? You are actually late to the show. Oh, what? I have a bill already uh, because there is a teacher who happens to be a family member of mine that sent me a message in church service. I kid you not, we were in church. And she said, wrote it on a piece of paper like, I have 36 four-year-olds on my roll. This is insane. Can you help? So I actually wrote a bill this session for, and it, it was based off SAGE. So if you remember SAGE number, right. it right. only dealt with K-5 through I think third grade. Sure. So I took the language that used to be in the SAGE bill to ask that we take out all of the, because SAGE is now called AGR. Yep. So with the AGR legislation now, school districts have three uh, iterations that they can use. Three well, options, yep, I remember. Three options, so, so yeah. One is the class size, one is, um, the implementer. The implementer. So that would be like the AGR consultant or the SST or whatever it would be. And the other thing would be one-on-one -on -one classroom tutor, like one-to-one -one student Fair. tutoring. Yep. Yeah. So it had to be one-to-one -one student tutoring. I said, take away the other two and just deal strictly with class size from K-4 through third grade. But it's already in place to third grade, right? It's but the it's second not being grade. utilized. It's not being utilized. Okay. That, that option is usually never utilized. 
you can pick up another person to do the, you know, the AGR contract work or to do a consultant or to, you know, be some other type of tutor, but actually lowering class size and mandating the class size be, I think it was 30 to two or like 18 to one. Is what 18 the, to one. Yep. So 18 to one was what I asked for or 30 to two licensed teachers in a room. So what's the name of that bill though? Is it means it's too uh, late to change it? The name. You know what? Really? Well, it didn't get passed. So I can reintroduce it next session. And well, I think the, the, the pitch for Garner Act. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's important. And I would even go, I know Eugene referenced COVID-19, but even again, going before that, after COVID-19, that's just good educational sense. Oh, absolutely. Not even, absolutely. I'm not, even if we take out the health piece of it, it's high quality teaching. You can't have in some of these schools, like you said, 30 some students and, and say, I'm going to personalize instruction. I'm going to do high quality instruction when you have that many students. And there is one side of belief that says that's, it doesn't matter how many students are in a classroom. And I, it, I think we have to reject that and say, uh, it absolutely matters how many are. It'd be like saying to parents right now, I'll bring my children over to Eugene's house and everybody in the neighborhood brings their children over to Eugene's house and he'll be fine. Uh, size, classroom size definitely. Classroom size most definitely matters. This is, again, we do not live in the type of society where, you know, the Horace Mann type situation where you can demand automatic compliance from people, from students, you know, in that way where everybody's gonna come in and be quiet and you can, you know, run a lesson that way. That's not how it deals. Because when you look at special education, which is a burgeoning population in most schools, special ed did not exist during the common school era. If your child had a mental incapacity or some type of disability, they stayed at home. They weren't educated. They were either sent to an institution or they were, they just stayed at home. They were not, a part of the, the mainstream effect of school. So there was no schooling for this particular population. When you look at the variances that happen with special needs students, whether it could be extreme behavior issues or operational defiant disorder, or you have uh, uh, intellectual disabilities, what they used to call mental retardation, or you have um, dyslexia, reading disabilities, dysgraphia, you know, all these things where students have such intense need, there's no way that you could possibly have a room full of almost 40 students and be able to address all of those needs when you have a 10 month period to get from, in my case, when I was teaching, it would be to get from, you know, let's say 1300 to 1865. So that's, I mean, that's a lot to cover and to get into it with teaching a, a, that particular type of subject. So it wouldn't happen. Let's, uh, we're here with Lakeisha Myers, superhero leader, and we're going to do a rapid response now. So I have four phrases and I want you to uh, finish the phrase, just whatever pops in your head. I wish educators. I wish educators would have more resources and I wish educators would encourage those of us that need more help 
to think outside of the box more. I wish school leaders. I wish school leaders would allow teachers to teach. I wish politicians. I wish politicians would go and teach lessons in classes that were difficult so they would understand what it was like. That's the reason I ran for office. And my last one here, I wish Eugene. I wish Eugene, oh gosh. I don't know if there's any hope for Eugene, so I can't even answer that last one. <laughs> I understand, understand. <laughs> All right, so I have, uh, I, I, have, I have several questions. Okay. My questions are better. Okay. So you say. Is there a state? No. Okay. These are rapid fire questions. So just give me a short answer. Okay. A, a state outside of Wisconsin that you look at to see what they're doing politically. To see what they're doing. Politically. Politically? Um, Yes, I would say um, two states. I would say Maryland and Massachusetts. Okay. Um, the name, oh, well, I'm going to say that for the last one because I don't think you can do it. Um, take yourself out of it. Okay. Next five years, the, com the collaboration or combination of politics and education gets better or worse. Hopefully better. Um, the biggest issue separate from the coronavirus right now is what? The biggest issue? Um, I would say equity. Okay. Issue. My last question. You have 10 seconds to name all of your teachers from K-4 through the eighth grade. Go. Miss Colo, Miss Zupko, Miss Whopper, Miss uh, Williams, Mr. Shlamo. Sixth grade, I had departmentalized teachers. So I had Miss Kessel, Miss, um, who's my math teacher? Miss Rapp. And see, this is going to take longer than 10 seconds because middle school, I had four different subjects plus specials. 10, 9, Miss <laughs> Lawco, high school, all the teachers at Rufus King High School. There you go. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. That's pretty bad. impressive. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. That's. I remember that's all of my teachers, K through 12. Like, I literally, like, remember them. It's, it's really funny. That's I, remarkable. I, re I remember my first teacher, Mrs. Wofford, and I was in her last class at Lloyd Street School. She was retiring that year. And she, because she wrote on my first report card, and I found this report card many years later, she wrote, Lakeisha talks too much. And I said, I wanted to find Mrs. Wofford if she was still alive and say, I get paid for talking, but you wrote that on my report card. <laughs> I, one more question, Lakeisha. Um, now, I, I pay attention to people that are short because I'm short myself. Name a politician shorter than you. A politician that is shorter? Than in, yeah, in Milwaukee. 
Oh, I don't think there's one in Milwaukee that would. I'm probably the shortest. See, that's what makes you special. Nationally, I put could be Bloomberg. He's short. You know, <laughs> he might be shorter. Actually, I think I think uh, I am either the same height or maybe I'm probably the same height as she is. But um, the senator from Maryland, um, woman, she just retired. I can't. Her name is escaping me right now. Barbara Mikulski. Barbara Mikulski was really short. Really. Yeah. I didn't know Bloomberg was short. They must have had him on a booster thing because he looked seemed tall oh, to me. He's he's short. So I yeah. have one question and I'll throw it back to Eugene to wrap us up. So Lakeisha Myers, we appreciate the conversation, the honest dialogue and insights that you have. Give us uh, the last question I have here is give me give me one word. So as as people or your friends or your family, how would they describe you in one word? Lakeisha Myers. How do we leave our listeners with that one word that describes who you are? That I can say publicly? No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think people would describe me, my friends would say um, unrelenting. That would be the word that they would say. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that, that sounds like the person I know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, definitely, that's definitely the person I know. Lakeisha, we, we thank you for... Uh, for uh, giving us a little bit of your time today. We, we definitely appreciate it. And we, we try to give our listeners out here um, a wide taste of, of education and, and try to have like recorded conversations that, that we all have like on the side at the barbershop, at the saloon, when the doors close, like we, we try to have a space to have those conversations. And uh, we, we definitely uh, appreciate Appreciate your time and you know, want to encourage you to, to keep leading in, in, in all of your um, efforts and bills. And, and hopefully you can slide that one in with our names on it. Uh, we will, you know, we'll definitely greatly appreciate that. We'll, we'll come to Madison or wherever you need to go to help push it. We will definitely be there um, right there with you. Uh, we want to close out the show. and We always close out our show with uh, tapping into or highlighting or shouting out. Um, some things we've seen, some projects they are work, working on or ways that people can find you or follow you or vote for you or w whatever needs to happen. We, we, we always give each other um, a space for that. So I, I'll go first. Um, I want to encourage everyone to uh, check out the book, uh, Superhero Educator. It's at Barnes & Noble and Amazon right now. Um, definitely. Uh, the book Gumbo for the Soul, Volume 3. Um, that one is on Amazon.com. Uh, I just want to shout out all the teachers that are not just teaching, but also leading during this strange phase that we have right now. Um, it's incredible. And we, we didn't get to that to, on this show, um, but, but there are thousands and thousands of teachers teaching and, and leading. Uh, I, 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 one of the best things I've seen is a teacher down south who has a, a, a handshake for every single student and she's tapping into, I don't know if it was Zoom or probably Google Classroom and they're still doing the handshakes via online. I thought that was pretty cool to watch. Uh, Steve Garner, what you got? I'd like everyone to get connected at www.cuemnational.org. It's the Center for Urban Education Ministries, a national nonprofit that works to strengthen urban schools. And right now there are 
teacher awards that are going out soon so you can nominate yourself for another teacher so that's very important to get connected with the center and help help strengthen urban schools across our nation Lakeisha for me I would like to um, tell everybody if you live in the 12th assembly district or have family members that live in the 12th assembly district it is now re-election season and I will be on the ballot um, in August, on August 11th for our primary. Um, as being the representative for the 12th Assembly District, I'm looking for all outstanding teachers from the uh, schools that are in my district because we're having the um, District 12 Outstanding Teacher Award and they can find more information about that on Representative Lakeisha Myers' Facebook page. Um, also, I would like to highlight uh, the book No BS uh, Bad Statistics uh, by Ivory Tolson and also give a great shout out to one outstanding teacher that I know who is going above and beyond in the COVID crisis, Ms. Angela Harris of Martin Luther King Jr. Elementary School in Milwaukee. Uh, immediately when school closed, she went door to door to each of her students' homes and made sure they had uh, school supplies and uh, the proper utensils, even though she gave work packets, she went by to collect those work packets, check That's it. what I'm talking about. So she does door-to-door -door service for her scholars at, at King Elementary. So that's over there with Ms. Hayes, right? I think so. I can, think you, so. can you email me her name? Because when this show is all done, I'll make sure that she gets tagged on to... Uh, uh, okay, I'll do that. Or, or if she's on Facebook, whatever, I'll make, sure she's get, I'll make sure she gets tagged to this. Okay, yep. All right. Well, I think we've covered all bases. Outstanding show. Nothing, nothing less than what we expected. It was actually way greater than what we expected, but Keisha always comes through. Um, on that note, we are out. See you next week. Have a great week. Um, we, know it's, we know it's a tough time, but educators keep pulling. You can do it. We have confidence in you, and we're out. Thanks again for listening to our Superhero Education Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and key concepts to battle the chaos and save the day for all students. Boldly transform lives and be a superhero educator.